Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Don't Tell Me The Score, the podcast that uses sport to explore life's bigger questions. My name is Simon Mundy, and each week I sit down with an expert from the biggest sporting names in the world to Buddhist monks, neuroscientists, psychologists, and philosophers. We discuss a theme that tells us something insightful and important about life and how best to live it. From the importance of self-acceptance to facing addiction and developing resilience, right through to getting your circadian rhythms in sync and how to sleep better. Sport is a metaphor for life. And in this podcast, I aim to prove that right. I always like hearing from you. So the best way to get in touch is via my website, simonmundy.com or I'm at Simon Mundy on social media. In this episode, I'm talking to racing driver and double amputee Billy Munger about self-acceptance. Billy, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Billy the Wiz, described by fellow driver Tom Ingram as a talented driver and a very special young man with a spark that makes it impossible for anyone not to like him. Now, how does it feel hearing compliments like that? Do you take them easily? I mean, to be honest, I always find it a little bit weird getting compliments like that, especially from people like Tom. I know Tom, I've known him for a long time. He was my driving instructor when I first got into motorsport. And yeah, I just, um, I guess I just try and put out a bit of positivity out there, really. I'm not really a negative person, so uh, I'm glad that that comes across. It's funny, though, that I think British people quite often do struggle to take compliments and often maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable. And obviously, you've been thrust into the public consciousness in really the most dramatic way possible. And the accolades and the opportunities and everything like that have been absolutely 
flowing in your direction. So at the same time that you've been dealing with trauma, you've also been dealing with all that accolades and the positive stuff. Focusing on that side specifically, the positive stuff, do you ever find that a little embarrassing in the classic British way? Yeah, for sure. I think, like you say, it, is, it does seem to be a bit of a British thing that we can't take compliments that well. And um, yeah, I know sometimes, especially with how my situation unfolded and being thrust into sort of a bit of the media limelight a little bit when I was obviously only 17, turning 18 when I had my accident uh, and obviously getting a lot of plaudits over the last few years as a result of my comeback and stuff like that. Yeah, it's been there's been times where you kind of wish that you were normal and sort of like no one knew who you were. Like those, because there's sometimes where that's quite nice to go out and sort of not have to worry about anyone knowing who you are, what you do. Um, you're just like a, another person walking along the street. But uh, with that, there's been a lot of times where using that support and that positivity that people perceive around me, I've used that to, to help me um, do certain things that I wouldn't have been able to do probably otherwise. So it has its its ups and its downs. <laughs> have you got used to fame yet? I wouldn't even class me as famous, really. Oh, come on, Billy. <laughs> no, no, for me, I'm just, I'm a normal guy, man. I just do my thing. Yeah, a famous normal guy. <laughs> I always find it quite hard, especially at the age I'm at now, because, um, like I said, I had my accident when I was 17, and the next few years after that are like the years where you are sort of, other people my age are out at uni partying, sort of up to mischief, doing what you want, and obviously then having a lot of attention on myself and um, by the media and stuff like that, you kind of don't know how to act in some scenarios. You kind of think maybe I need to put on a, a bit of a, a show to make sh- like and make myself to be that clean cut sort of person. But I think it's all sort of, it's all a balance really. And I've just learned to be me at the end of the day and kind of hope that if people accept that, that's great. If they don't, then that's their loss. Your aspiration from an early age was to reach the top of motorsport. And for people who are successful in doing that, you think of Lewis, you think of Jensen, obviously fame often comes with that. Equally, there are lots of people these days whose goal is fame in and of itself. Now, you've experienced fame over the last three years. What aspects of it have surprised you, perhaps that that people wouldn't expect about all the attention that comes with suddenly being thrust into the public consciousness. Is there, are there parts of it that have surprised or, or differ to what you may have imagined it to be? To be honest, I think it's pretty overrated being famous, if I'm honest. Like you say, everyone, has, it seems like nowadays, wants to be famous. And I think it's a little bit overrated. I think, to be honest, the main focus, well, what I'm trying to focus on is just being a good person. Because I think being a good person is a much better attribute to have than than being famous for sure do you know what billy i said before we recorded that you're a philosopher and already what we're only a few minutes in and you've proved it i think that's such a great thing to understand fame is overrated and actually your values being a good person spreading some kindness is is way more important so uh thank you for that that's already a great lesson that anyone can particularly young people i think can really take on board now let's dig back into your story, your lessons and all that kind of stuff. So actually, I want to start at the age of two for you, because that's when you were introduced to a cart by your father, right? <laughs> yeah, this this story, uh, as, as many times as I've told it over the years, it still it still makes me laugh. The fact that my dad, at yeah, the age of two, bought me a go-kart that I couldn't use for six. I mean, it kind of shows you 
that he was a little bit keen maybe to, to get me started in motorsport. And was it love instantly? Did you immediately take to that feeling of speed, the freedom that comes in being a car? To be honest, I think when you're six years old, you you kind of don't quite un- have the level of sort of understanding to be able to take in what you're doing. So like, it's, it was something different. It was something new. That was always exciting to me. I was six. I was very slow. My dad used to run around the track in front of me. So it was it was a nice experience at that age because it was something that I did with my dad and that he I could tell he enjoyed it. So when you're a young kid and you can tell your your parents sort of getting a buzz off of what you're doing it makes you feel good so I think that was was part of the reason for me just getting to spend a bit of time with my dad he enjoyed it and let's be honest oh for sure I wasn't hating it it was just new to me and I didn't really when you're like I say when he's running around in front of me it was kind of I wasn't getting that speed feeling but yeah over the next couple of years as I got better and we kind of started doing it more and more often it became a real yeah that buzz of speed and everything around sort of going out and going racing got me hooked for sure that's quite a picture that you've just painted of you wizard around with your dad running in front of you that's uh definitely an image yeah. in my head um he's known my pharaoh either <laughs> um was there a moment then when you fell in love with it or was it a process i think it was a process i think to be honest like I say, there was never that one light bulb moment for me where I was like, I decided I loved it. It was just something that I did and we started doing more often and every time I did it, it put a smile on my face. So there was no real like, oh, I, I got to 30 mile an hour speed and it was like, yeah, this is amazing. I love it. It was like, I, I just kept at it. We enjoyed it. We had fun with it uh, and it just became something that, I would look forward to doing all the time and want to be doing all the time. Um, so that was kind of the process really was what I guess made me fall in love with it. That put a smile on your face thing that you just said there, I think it's really important. And I want to come back to that because people often talk about finding your passion, following your passion. And I've heard you talk and I think your way of living your life and following your feelings what makes you feel good, what makes you feel peace inside, all those kind of things, rather than necessarily your thoughts about what might be the best path to follow. I think that's actually really, really good advice. I mean, I've given it mostly away there, but I want to come back to that. But let's move then ahead to 2017. Your second season in F4, first season, obviously, you've done pretty well, a few podiums, finished 12th, I believe. And in that second season, obviously, that's when you're starting to gun for the title. And you had what's been described as one of the most horrific crashes in motorsport history at, at Donington. What do you remember of that day? The day itself was pretty normal. Woke up, did my usual sort of routines and got ready for the race. Uh, went out at the start of the race and um, the conditions were, as for a racing driver, the trickiest that you ever get. It was um, dry on the grid, so everyone had slick tyres on. As soon as we went out for the formation lap, starts raining. So... You get minimal grip from the slick tire and the wet, so uh, it was it was tricky conditions. But apart from that, it was a, a normal race day, really. It just shows. I mean, we never know what is round the corner, and that may sound like a dreadful pun in the case of what happened to you, but it's very true, isn't it? That what it's a normal day, and yet it's a completely life changing day. And actually, we all can imagine the future. Tomorrow is going to be like this. The next week's going to be like that. But you just don't know. What I've learned in life is you, you're not guaranteed anything. You're not guaranteed even your next day, which is 
it's evidently quite obviously that could be the case of what happened to me on that day. I could I could not be here today, or um, because of it. So yeah, I try to live my life in a short term way of thinking in terms of setting my sights on something that's achievable and doable in a short period of time, going after it and living that target every day, day in, day out. And then once I've either achieved that or um, however that unfolds, move on to the next thing. That's kind of my, my way of looking at things. I don't like to – I think it just looking too far ahead can sometimes scare you. It can Sometimes things can seem quite far away. Um, when you look far ahead you can see where you want to be in five years time and it seems too far away so part of your mind goes oh well I don't think that's doable and you can sort of lose that little bit of self-belief where if you just tackle a task the next day that is achievable those little sort of incremental gains over over time will get you to hopefully where you want to be yeah what phrase is it something like the seventh wonder of the world is compound interest and we've all been forced into the present by everything that's gone on over the last year and and I remember when I was in my 20s and I was um would chastise myself for not having a five-year plan and actually now I very much adhere to your way of approaching things and take things day by day you know work on what's in front of you and then I want to come back to that other thing that I mentioned about though how you decide. So let's say you're at a fork in the road. And I think if you have a five-year plan, then you can really think, or oh, does this fit into where I'm trying to get to in five years? But I've heard you talk about following what what makes you feel happy. So you you it sounds like you make decisions about the way to go on on your feelings in the present. I don't think there's for me any other way of looking at things because if you go with your gut all the time and what you believe in, whether that pans out to be right or wrong, I don't see what the, the real negative around that is. No one can be perfect in making the right decision every time in life. I mean, I think if you asked anyone, have they made a decision where looking back on it in hindsight, um, they would have changed it. They probably uh, would have said everyone's got one of those decisions that they would have said, yeah, do you know what? In hindsight, it would have been probably better for me to do something a bit different. But as much as that's probably a fact and a lot of people would agree with that, I think you make every decision. If you make every decision for the right reason, then there's no need to, to feel like you've missed out on anything. And I think, like I said, so many people talk about following a passion, finding something they love. And obviously for you, you were lucky. You were introduced to motorsport early. You grew to love it. You know, I've been fortunate in my own ways and lots of people I know have, but lots of people aren't. But I think that approach that you've spoken about, about just trusting your gut, trusting your intuition, that will lead you often in places that, that you wouldn't necessarily expect and will lead you to places that may be far surpass what you might have imagined that you wanted at, at any given time. And you said there as well about making decisions and has anyone ever made a wrong decision? And and as well, things that happen to us, because obviously w- what you went through, and we'll come back to, to the day itself, but what you went through in, in terms of that crash and in terms of losing both your legs on paper is just an awful thing. But I've heard you talk about it in terms of st- a challenge to be faced, something to be accepted. And in some ways, it's it's not been all bad, has it? No, it kind of led me down some paths having my accident that I probably wouldn't have chosen to go down before or would have thought about going down. 
Um, and I think that's the whole point of how I live my life now is so I can react to those situations and you make the most of what you're given in life. If you're given a certain scenario and you just you go with your gut and how what makes you feel like a potential opportunity, then I think, like I say, I don't think you can go wrong with that really. And I think my sort of general experience and from what I've kind of sort of sat back and learned, I think, over the last few years is I think today's society, it's a little bit, everyone finds it a little bit trickier to try new things because there's always someone on social media or anything like that when you you try and do something new and out of your comfort zone that instantly is trying to put a downer on what you're doing and tell you that you should stick to what you know and that sort of thing. But what I've kind of learned is that that sort of whole, it's a little bit, I guess, a kind of cancel culture, I think, that it seems to be a bit more prominent over the last few years where everyone has to do one thing, stick in their lane, not try new stuff. The one thing that my accident, well, one of the things that my accident has taught me is that I want to go out there and try in so many different areas. I don't want to just be the guy that has one interest, doesn't look outside of that and, and does that for the rest of my life, but and does that out of a fear of people not believing in me to do other stuff I, I I'm a very sort of active person my mind's always ticking over there's always something out there I want to go and have a go at and a, try and do um, I'm quite an active and adventurous person so going out there and trying loads of different stuff if you're if you're not happy with your job anything like that I, for me if I was in that situation now like I wouldn't what I've learned from accident I wouldn't be scared to, to go and do something completely different and start from scratch. So, yeah, I think my accident has sort of expanded the way I look at life. I don't, as much as racing is all I've ever done and it's what I love to do, that doesn't mean there's other things out there that I can't love to do as well and push myself in those areas as well. So, yeah, just I think sometimes if you do one thing for a prolonged amount of time and and you don't look outside of what you're doing um, purely on the on the basis of how other people perceive you to be and relate you to that one specific thing. I think, yeah, just trying new stuff, man, just getting out there experiencing life. And that that's kind of something I'm trying to do nowadays is to, to, to have a go at lots of different stuff because I don't care if it goes well or if it goes bad. I just want to mm. try it. I think that's a really important point as well. Taking risks, not having regrets and not necessarily listening to or seeking or needing the approval of others, but also as well, sometimes not listening to the way our mind judges, whether something might be good or bad. I think of two guests sprung to mind while you were talking. So Ebony Rain for Brent, cricketer, had written cricket off, was like, no, I've got no interest in this. Tried it, hit a sweet shot, loved it. Christy Wellington, the greatest Ironman athlete ever, she said she could never have imagined triathlon being one of the central passions of her life, but for the fact that she was one of those people who were willing to try things. And and you're obviously in that camp as well, that that openness to trying things, as proved by the the the, the challenge that you're taking on that we'll get to shortly. But you know, it's that letting go of approval, letting go of need of other people's approval is is a key factor if you're going to do that. Yeah, and I think it's not just letting go, like you say, of, of what other people think of it. It's letting go of what you, how, like, I think a lot of people can judge themselves too quickly when they try something new. If, like you say, if they don't 
if they don't take to it straight away, it's like, oh, well, that's not for me. I might just uh, go and try something else. And mm. as much as, yeah, sometimes some things just aren't meant for you and and you can try as much as you want, but it, it just isn't going to happen. I just think it's about, it's a, it's a balance really. One is, yeah, like you say, just not, not caring about what other people think because you just got to live life for yourself really. And if people are truly meant to be involved in your life, friends, family, all of that, they'll support you no matter what. It doesn't matter if you're doing well or bad at it. They'll be there um, no matter what. I, I like not being good at stuff because it makes me want to try a bit harder and, and, and try and get over that challenge and, and prove people wrong and prove myself wrong because, uh, yeah, you can have a bad day at something the first time you try it. But if you give up there, then you, of course you're never going to be any good at it. No one ever got good at anything from doing it once, not being good and, and giving up. Uh, there's another quote to add to the Don't Turn With The Score Nugget Bank. I like not being good at stuff. That is the epitome of someone with a growth mindset right there, which is uh, something that comes up a lot. And then you said something really nice there about the people around you that really matter. So your friends, your family, the people that really love you. It doesn't matter what you do or how well you're doing, they will accept you fully. And for me, accept like fully accepting someone, that is what kind of love is. Like if I think of a love of a parent for a child, it's what defines that is full acceptance. And so you, it sounds like you've really learned a lot about acceptance in terms of yourself, other people, events, the world, the whole shebang. So yeah, can you talk to me a little bit about acceptance? Yeah, so as part of recovering from my accident, I had to accept my situation. That was the reality of it, and that's how I got over it. If I sat there in hospital and not accepted that this had happened to me and was thinking of why has this happened to me all the time, then I don't think in terms of from a mental point of view, that would have been so damaging to just sit there and think, why me, why this, why that, rather than just go sitting there and as tough as it, as it is and as it was, and um, I have people around me to thank for helping me keep this mindset in the times where it was a bit tough because it, it, it's not as easy as you, as you may think to, to get over stuff like that. So once I'd fully accepted where I was in life, what the reality of my life was at that time, that allowed me to then accept a better future for myself and kind of in my head go, this is where you're at now and accept that with some hard work, with some determination, you can be and get anywhere you want to get. Um, so that was, yeah, acceptance is a bit is a big thing for me, and especially when it comes to people around you. Like I say, if they don't accept you for who you are and the stuff you want to do, then to me, it, I never really sort of, I don't think you ever truly be yourself and thrive in the way you want to thrive with people like that around you. Mm. If I'm honest, I think, a lot of the time, people that are negative about their situation, if you look around them, they've probably got people that are feeling the same way and acting the same way in their sort of close group of people around them, if that's friends or family. I think no one can really underestimate the power of choosing the right people to have around you. Because I think we all have that power, by the way. We all have the power to to choose who our friends are. Okay, our family's a bit different, but... But in general, we have a massive amount of control of who we hang out with, who we look up to, uh, and what outlook we take on life and where we're at and where we want to get to. 
Now let's um, just return a little bit to 2017. So after your crash, and I remember I was sports reporter for Radio 1 at the time, and so I covered it, and I remember obviously the footage and, and hearing the commentary, and it's traumatic to hear. And you spent 90 minutes trapped in your vehicle you were in induced coma for a long period of time i know your parents obviously went through absolute hell in that period and then you came out but how long after because i know it was shortly before your 18th birthday and of having been through this hugely traumatic experience what i found very interesting was the way that you chose to deal with it which is goes counter to a lot of the ways people would deal with something traumatic insofar as what helped you get over it was not avoiding what happened, but by moving towards it and watching the accident. And that actually helped you accept it and come to terms with it, which is counterintuitive, I think. Yeah, that was, um, to be honest, if I look back at my time spent in hospital, the best thing that I did personally was, like you say, watch that accident over and over again. And if I'm looking at it actually at the time how I was thinking about it I was never thinking I need to face this head on I need to watch this in order to 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 get through it I was thinking about it from the angle of being uh, a competitor and being a, an athlete and sort of the accident for me happened so quickly that I didn't at first have really much recollection of what exactly had happened and I wanted to one see it at first hand so I could to be honest, it was partly for being in my head of going, was there anything else I could have done? Could I have changed my outcome um, at all? Could I Should I have gone darted to the right instead of trying to dart to the left? Would that have made a difference? Once I kind of watched it, realised that, do you know what, that was just, the, you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. There was nothing that was in my control that would have changed the outcome um, to hitting that car like I did. Once you, you come to terms with that, it really just lifted that sort of responsibility for like the situation I found myself in off my shoulders because I went from thinking, am I, am I, am my mistakes responsible for me being here, or is it just one of those things that that happened to me for whatever reason? Is it was it just meant to be? Was there nothing I could have done? And it was just meant to be, and having that feeling in as I watched that accident in hospital sort of come into my head that it was just meant to be, man. It was, that was, that was what that day had set out for you. Once I kind of had felt that in hospital after watching the accident, I just felt a huge weight come off my shoulders. It was like from an athlete point of view and from a competitor, nothing I could have done. This is what I've, what's happened. And you talked a little bit about the experience of obviously being trapped in the car, putting into an induced coma. And if I could go back to the whole sort of situation of being in that car again, I wouldn't change a single thing. I wouldn't change the fact that they couldn't get me out and they had to put me in an induced coma to get me out and that I was in an induced coma while the surgeries happened and I came out of, um, came back out of an induced coma and and ended up being sort of a double amputee without having any element of is there any other options? Is there with it? I was so glad that I had no influence on my situation that I woke up and that was how it was meant to be. 
if I'd even been awake and given a decision of, oh, well, you can, because they, they did tell me that my doctors kind of explained why I'd had to have my legs amputated, the fact that my legs were smashed to pieces really below the amputations and that even if they'd tried to sort of save my legs to a, a, a bit of more of a, just to try and do what that even more than they um, obviously thought was best for me, um, I, it, it would have just caused me a lot of pain. I would have been, I'd be, I'd be in pain right now, and the rest of my for the rest of my life, in order to keep a little bit more um, of my legs or anything like that. So, to be honest, waking up and being in the grand scheme of things, and over the last few years, fairly pain free, and just being able to focus on moving forward, that that was hugely important. I think for for me being and having the outlook I've got now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. That's an amazingly philosophical and wise way of looking at things and accepting that it just happened. There was nothing that you would have done differently it just was what it was and therefore you fully accept it and with that acceptance you move on i mean it's almost like opening the curtains one day and it being raining and it's just oh today it, it's raining and that, that might sound like a bit of a bit of an odd comparison but what i mean by that is just um the kind of inevitability of it and and therefore not looking back and questioning it it, ju- it just is and then that that attitude in any area, I guess, but particularly with what you've been through, that attitude of just accepting what is, don't go to battle with reality, is hugely, it's clearly been hugely empowering for you because the way you've strode forward since then, I remember reading articles shortly afterwards sort of saying things, and it's a big battle for Billy just to get back to kind of a normal life, but you've gone way beyond that, haven't you? And it started with that acceptance of, of reality. Yeah, I think like I say that whole the whole accepting my situation just allowed me to just it it allowed me to really leave what happened in the past because 
like you say, accepting simple things in life can just open up a new door for you. Like you say, it's even as simple as it sounds funny, like you said, when you compare it to such a thing, but you wake up in the morning, you look outside, it's raining. Ah, well, it's you can either sit there and moan about it or you go, sometimes you wake up and you go, oh, it's raining. All right, that's what it is. Get your jacket on, go out, do your thing. Like that's, it made it such a, it made the accident for me having that mindset. It made it such as just a little bump in the road that could be compared to what people face in day-to-day life in like simple, simple things. It really took the the whole sort of massive influence and power that it and like negative emotion surrounding it. It took that away from it. It made it such a, in my mind, such a, uh, it made it just a lot more simple. And I think sometimes that can just be an underrated thing is just to keep things simple and just judge it, just break it down and, and look at things in like the most sort of simple way possible. Like I say, you don't have to overcomplicate things in life. You either control, you try and control the stuff you can control. And if you can't control it, you don't let it sort of impact what you're doing. And that's kind of how it ended up working out for me. I mean, that is the absolute core of Stoic philosophy right there, summed up. Um, and, and one clearly positive thing that's come from it. Now, I know you're you're a happy guy and, you know, there's a lot of research about happiness set points and it tends to return to roughly the same level, whether you win the lottery or have a an accident. Um, and I know that, you, you know, you're, you've always been a happy guy. But it, from what I've been able to ascertain from listening to you over the years has been about gratitude and that that's something that you're really uh, has developed a bit you know whether it be for example I know that your gratitude towards the people that treated you that's that's blossomed into this relationship with your doctor who comes and actually supports you at races now because obviously you've always been hugely ambitious you wanted to get to the top of motorsport and now there's a gratitude for life on a day-to-day level there's also that that, that gratitude for, for the people around you that have supported you and, you know, the huge outswelling of support that you got in, in the, in the weeks after, after your accident. And also then perhaps that gratitude to be able to impact others' lives. Yeah. I mean, my gratitude comes from just being grateful to be alive and be here. It comes from, a I guess, quite a powerful place of knowing that life is short and that I couldn't, there's a huge there was a huge chance I could have not been here. So I feel like obviously for me, it's probably a little bit easier than others because sometimes you can kind of sort of go through life and, and feel like you've not got much to be grateful for. So in some ways, that's a, an element where my accident really did awaken me to just being grateful for the simple things, like you say, for the people you've got around you. And over the last few years, there's been times where I've wanted to switch off that whole role model thing and you know just not have to worry about it but also some of my proudest moments and some of the moments that have been powerful for me in the last few years have have been as simple as getting a message from someone and then being like your outlook what you've managed to achieve has inspired me to go after what I want to go after in life and like that for me after having so much support after my accident and knowing the power of that and helping me get to where I am now all I can ever ask for and all I can ever try and achieve myself is just a sliver of what I receive myself in terms of 
if I get a few people, one person even, to just say what you're doing and how your approach to life is is helping me out day to day and go after what I want to go after. That's such a powerful thing and it should never be... I feel like a lot of people nowadays don't... We always want to think bigger picture. We always want to, like you say, everyone wants to be super famous. They don't want to just be like themselves and sort of look after or help one like the power of helping one person rather than just always chasing the big numbers the the big sort of everything like that I don't think it should be underestimated because yeah I've had times where I've had a bad day and someone's messaged me and and said like I say has said that what I do and kind of what I've done um is helping them out and that that for me is such an awesome feeling I think everyone can relate to a moment in life where you've seen someone struggling and you've done something, a simple task, and they've said thank you, and you feel good afterwards. And I think mm. that feeling sometimes, because it can happen fairly often, or it can kind of go under the radar and you don't really appreciate it. But as as I've been exposed to more people, the amount of people hasn't really made me feel any different. It's still that same general nice feeling of helping someone or someone saying something positive about what you do and feeling positive off the back of what you've done is just an amazing feeling to have. Definitely. I did a podcast very, it was out last week actually with uh, David Hamilton, Dr. David Hamilton, and he speaks about kindness. And obviously we all know what we've heard about the R number, the R number of COVID one and whatever. And, uh, he says the research suggests the R number of kindness is five in that it ripples outwards. And have you become significantly more aware of that power of spreading kindness, spreading goodness, for want of another word, out in, into society compared to, say, for example, winning titles? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm much more I'm much more aware of how powerful one what, what you can say to one person like you say, the effect that can have on them and how they then put their, that energy out to others. I think I'm more aware of that um, because I know that I receive in my recovery a lot of help and support and people being positive around me. And I know that that made me feel good and then made probably made me be a nicer person to be around off the back of that. So I just think positivity breeds positivity. And if you put that out there, then... That's what life's all about, really. Even superseding trophies and titles? I've won a lot of trophies and titles in my career, and some of them have felt absolutely amazing, and some of them, have it felt good at the time, and then afterwards, you don't really get much from it. Winning is a nice feeling to have, but I think the way you win and the way, more the way you conduct yourself while you're going out there and trying to win is more important. I'd rather finish second in some scenarios and have given it all I've got, but but not sort of. I don't want to be the guy who uh, that I don't even know how to explain I, it. I know I know exactly what you mean. It's it's I'm, about being overdoing and winning, for example, in an underhand way or anything like that. Yeah. It's, it's it's about character and values and stuff. Yeah, I'd rather not lose my character and values and come second than go out there and behave on, on track and in competition in a different way to how I behave in life. I think yeah. like as, as much as I'm an athlete, I'm a competitor, I want to go out there and win, don't get me wrong. More than wanting to go out, that, wanting to go out and win, I want to go out there and 
give the best version of myself and the best version of myself is being who I am day to day which is sort of a positive person who that's just putting out good energy and stuff like that that's who I am so I'd I'd like to stick to that as much as possible and then hope that the winning comes with that as well yeah 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 and and often it does. I think oftentimes that's the way it works. But uh, before we get on to your challenge, Billy, I just want to ask you about about identity because you talk there about how you are, your persona, and everything like that. And funnily enough, this is an area that really interests me. Something I always sort of talk about quite a lot. And actually, someone tweeted me today, Jeff. So hopefully you'll be listening to this, Jeff. And he tweeted that a theme that comes up in these podcasts is that that we are not our thoughts. Thoughts come and thoughts go. So we're not our thoughts, we're not our beliefs, we're not our stories, all that kind of stuff. And then I, I, th- I wanted to relate that to you as well, because obviously then it's like there's the body. And for example, you've lost a significant part of your body. And with that, some capacity about what you can and cannot do. Um, obviously, that's been mitigated in, in many ways, particularly when it comes to your driving and whatever else. But, you know, what what, what do you make of sort of identity and in, in terms of, did you ever feel lessened by what happened to you physically? You know, and what, what does identity mean to you? I think personally, there's definitely been times in over the last few years where the fact that I'm missing limbs and the fact that I'm different to everyone else has scared me and made me feel uncomfortable in certain scenarios and maybe internally and sort of the way I feel about myself is maybe sometimes I've been in situations where Maybe you feel a little bit lessened. You feel a little bit that people are sort of judging you and perceiving you. But I think what I just said there, people judging you and perceiving you, it's when you let external other people's opinions of yourself affect how you think of yourself. I think that's when, when I, I like when I was thinking like that, and when that that was something that was a part of my day to day, where I'd go out and I'd see people looking at my prosthetic legs and I'd maybe feel a bit uncomfortable I think that was a time where like well I just felt in general just a little bit uncomfortable with my own skin um but what once I kind of and what I try to realize nowadays and take into my life nowadays is that I think the place that I find the most power and strength from mentally to sort of make me not worry about what's happened to me physically is just from knowing that I think the most powerful situation uh, and the most p- powerful mentality I can ever give to myself is just fully accepting who I am and love it. And like, you just got to love yourself really. Cause totally. if you don't love yourself. That, that energy is out there for other people. People can feel that if you, you can, you can, the people I like to surround myself with, surround myself with are people that generally just love themselves and that carry that out to other people as well because you don't get me wrong you can get people that love themselves maybe a little bit too much and then think they're they're better than everyone else um but i think just this to get it into a sort of simple terms is if you love yourself and you put out that energy to other people if they accept that whether they accept that or not that shouldn't have any influence on how you how you feel about yourself couldn't agree more. I think that's beautifully put. Uh, and it comes back to what I was saying earlier about acceptance and love actually really go hand in hand. And I think, funnily enough, someone emailed me, I think this topic came up 
recently about or being kind to yourself and, and loving yourself and that kind of thing. And this is a subject I didn't understand for a long time. I think if, if I'm honest, you know, a lot of time I thought I was a bit insecure and part of me needed fixing and all that kind of stuff, which I think is quite normal. But actually self-acceptance, if you can accept yourself, even the bits that you don't particularly like, if, if someone said to me, how do I love myself? I'd say, accept yourself and i sometimes talk about self-esteem so people talk about self-esteem and that's more where you rate you know you're okay i'm good you're a good driver or a good broadcaster a good writer or whatever it may be and then you're just looking at your positive points but actually acceptance for me is a much more powerful holistic whole because yeah you've got some good points bad points but like you say you just just by dent of being you know you're absolutely fine as you are and then then it tends not to step over into arrogance you are no better or worse than anyone else celebrity to you know the man on the street whoever it may be that acceptance it's it's a great leveler i think yeah i i think if i was judging people like i think the most powerful people out there are the people that ha- have got that down to a t that, mm. that that love themselves and put that energy out to other people i think if I if I was looking to to sort of if that was going to be that would probably be for me the one area where if I met someone and that's the they loved themselves for who they were they accepted themselves and they accepted you for who you were and didn't pass judgment for the sake of judgment I think a lot of time when people judge you is because they're insecure about themselves totally projection um, yeah so and I think that just yeah it gets reflected and so that's I'd probably say with that with what I've just said. Um, I think I've got a bit of sympathy and a bit more empathy for people now that that have that sort of mentality where they they instantly pass judgment like and you feel like they're judging you because before it was just like oh well why, why is that person like just sat there saying like really judgy things like mm. that's like not someone I want to be around it makes you not particularly like that person but then actually now having a bit more experience and I think I've now I understand why I sometimes feel like that I can then relate that to other people and go it's it's just mainly insecurities about how maybe they perceive themselves which is them reflecting that onto other people totally yeah projection it says far more about the person who's making them than it does about you when it comes to some social media platforms and you just see these people going at each other it's like goodness me just uh turn the pointy finger around back at yourself and just have a little uh, inward reflection anyway right look i know you'd be good at the philosophizing now let, let me talk about your um your challenge so 140 miles a walk a cycle and a kayak how's it going do you know what this is Again, this is just something I would have never expected to to be doing in my entire life. If someone said, do you want to have a go at doing an Ironman at 140 miles? I would have said, oh, God, no, that, that sounds absolutely awful. Um, and there's definitely been times where that sort of the way I think about an Ironman and how awful it would be, <laughs> where it's been the case, where it has been awful uh, during training. But I was lucky enough. The first lock, I've always trained and done physical exercise. Um, and it, to be honest, it, looking back on it, my men- mentality was never right. It was always go and do your training build because you need to perform in the car. And I'd go to the gym and I'd work out and I'd do the stuff that I needed to do and I'd get out of there and I'd, don't get me wrong, when I got to the gym, I'd still work hard. Like, But it meant that sometimes getting in the gym and having that motive because I think that's the hardest thing that people find and I find myself is that 
once I actually get myself to a place where I, I'm in the gym and I'm doing what I'm doing, I start to feel, you feel good about yourself when you're doing it. But it's getting getting in there some days is easier said than done. Um, and obviously 2020, COVID, everything like that meant that I wasn't competing and racing. And I, I know the first month of the first lockdown, once I knew I wasn't racing, I really let myself go physically. I was probably in the, the worst, probably in the worst shape I've been in after that sort of one or two like months of the first lockdown um, since my accident. Like I wasn't outdoors walking on my prosthetics. I was in the like sort of chilling at home all the time, sort of not walking. And it wasn't until I thought we came out the first lockdown and kind of I went to my um, friend's uni accommodation uh, for a few days. Um, he'd moved into his new place. We went up there, had a, a few days of fun um just chilling um but his his um his accommodation was about two and a half kilometers from the town center and normally sort of like that would that would be an achievable distance for me to walk um but because i hadn't been on my legs for so long um even with doing a little bit of training at home sort of mainly strength and like weight based i didn't really my functionality in day-to-day life and the things that um Obviously, being a double double amputee, you kind of take for granted once you've worked hard enough to make them feel as normal as possible. Um, but that two and a half k walk into town every day was—I was in absolute agony. It was really painful. I really struggled. That was a bit of a light bulb moment for me, where I was like, as soon as I can get back to to training, I want to. This year, I knew I wasn't racing. It was like I want to train for my daily health and functionality I, I don't, I'm in my prime now I'm 20 21 I don't want to be getting to the age of 40 as a double amputee and not being able to walk into town or around like the shops like that's mm. not the route I wanted to go down at all so my mentality changed me and my trainer started shifting our mindset into doing stuff that was going to help me day to day and then comic relief came to me with this challenge and me and my trainer had plan to do something on a much much smaller scale at the end of 2020 as something to just say that we achieved in 2020 and then comment like i say comment really came to us with this idea of this challenge and it seemed crazy at the time and i think if it had come to me any other point of the year i probably would have said no um but my mindset was in the right spot i was feeling good about the way i was progressing with my fitness and my training and I don't think many people in life get the opportunity to to do something for such an amazing cause. And I thought if I'm ever going to have the time and opportunity to do this, it's now. So I just sort of went, you know what, threw myself in the deep end and went, let's do it. And that comes back to your thing about trusting your intuition, trusting your feelings. When when you feel energized by something, going towards it, rather than overanalyzing it and thinking, oh, that's quite a long way and vote cap sizes. It's like, no, this excites me. This makes me feel good. This energizes me. Therefore, I'm going to trust that feeling and go for it. Yeah, that was exactly why I I just said, like, let's do it straight away. It was like I felt energized. I felt refreshed. I felt that element of competition and challenge that I was missing in 2020. I felt that that had all kind of been wrapped up into one and it was a chance to really push myself and it was for a great cause it was it was just everything aligned in the right way like i say trying new things excites me and i'm never afraid to to try something new now it was just like i say the perfect 
chance to do something like that. And I want to just ask you as well about, because I know you went to visit a project funded by Comet Relief called Fight for Change. And it's interesting because I'd sometimes present on the Today program, very fortunate, very grateful for that. Actually, so Lewis Hamilton was guest editor, bit of a name drop here, <laughs> guest, guest editor over, over Christmas. And I was presenting that day. And he wanted to do a lot of stuff around, um, you know, sport and helping out underprivileged kids and all that. You know, there are a few things I think that are as powerful in terms of realigning people and giving people opportunity and, and confidence and valuing themselves and discipline and all those kind of things than, than sport. And one of the charities I spoke to do this piece was Fight for Change. And I know that you've actually been down there to see them. Yeah, honestly. So I went and saw them. Well, I mean, it was only probably a couple of weeks ago. Now. It was probably the start of February. And like I say, when I got announced the challenge and sort of mid-end of December, I spent those sort of first couple months or first months, like six, seven weeks, having not had any sort of dealings with anything that where the money was going to go towards. And I found that sometimes quite tough, especially on days where you want to find that bit of motivation and to push yourself a bit further. It's nice when you're doing it for charity to have seen the people firsthand that you're going to um, affect. And um, after meeting um, some of the people involved with the charity, them explaining their situations and backgrounds to me, how they've benefited from from what they do now, just hearing the stories, it's so like it gives you, you wouldn't believe the amount of excitement and inspiration that I drew from that day it was awesome it's helped me a lot over the last few weeks because the last few weeks of training have been like this this style of training like I say it's all new to me and it's the hours to do something like this this normally most able-bodied people and that are in good shape would sort of take nine months to to train for a for a nine man and I've had um just under three and I've been starting from scratch so it's been there's, there's no doubt about it. It's been brutal. Um, and there's been days where I go out and I exercise for five, six hours and I get back, I have something to eat. And then 20 minutes later, I'm I'm doing another bit of exercise for three, four hours. And it, at those points there, I'm, I'm all I'm thinking about is like, oh, what's for dinner? I want to be up chilling on the sofa like my family is. I want to be anywhere but doing what I'm doing. But having that in the back of my mind of, those people that I've met and that I know that we've got a real power to help benefit a charity like that. You can't ask for better inspiration. From the people I speak to and speaking to someone like you as well, it just comes clear that, you know, that the power of community, the power of making a difference, which you're doing with in so many ways, but particularly with this challenge is there's in many ways, no greater currency so I'm really excited for you. It's um, it's just been a pleasure chatting, Billy, because like I said, I knew that you were, and I'm going to do the compliment stuff again, so brace yourself. <laughs> um, I knew that you, you, know, you do have a very wise head on young shoulders and that you have a very philosophical outlook on life that anyone from, of any age, I think, really can learn from. I think there have been so many sort of the nuggets that I look for in Don't Tell Me The Score in, in this chat. And I'm just incredibly grateful to you. And, and I'm glad that you know, even though I asked you what over a year and a half ago now that we've eventually got round to it, Billy, because from my point of view, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a great pleasure. I've really enjoyed chatting. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Don't Tell Me The Score. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation. 
And I would, of course, be delighted to hear your thoughts, ideas, and questions. Do get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. I do really appreciate you listening. And if you could leave a kind rating and review, I would be sincerely grateful. All that remains is for me to say, I hope you'll join me again next time. Until then, thank you and goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.